As the nation's second largest private sector employer, we stand with the Black community, our customers, employees, and business owners. Racism, discrimination, and hatred will not be tolerated in the restaurant and food service industry. This week's episode of Order Up is a special interview with our industry partners in promoting diversity and inclusion in the restaurant space. During this time that discriminatory wrongs are coming to light, the National Restaurant Association seeks to send a message of inclusivity and equality for all. Joining us today is Jerry Fernandez, founder and president of the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance, also known as MFHA. Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We greatly appreciate your expertise and your insights as we discuss diversity and inclusion in the restaurant industry. So to get us started, tell us a little bit about MFHA. What do you do and what do you stand for? Well, first off, thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to share my thoughts and perspectives with the industry. But to start from the beginning, um, MFHA has been around for 25 years, and uh, we are a membership organization serving the restaurant, food service, and lodging industry. We're focused on advancing racial, ethnic, and gender diversity to improve the bottom line. So diversity makes sense, but it has to make dollars and cents. And so we're an organization founded from industry for industry about making our industry more inclusive and therefore more profitable. Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about your personal background and how does that play into the work that you do now? Well, I'm a native of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and uh, my family uh, is originally from the Cape Verde Islands, so I have West African and Portuguese roots. Um, my life experience has been lived as, an, as, a, as a Black man in America, and uh, so I went to uh, Johnson Oils Culinary School right out of uh, our high school. I got a bachelor's in food service management there. I also got my culinary arts degree there. And that kind of got me started in the restaurant industry. It was total by happenstance, which unfortunately is a lot of how people of color end up in our business. It's not by design. You don't have an uncle or an aunt who's saying, hey, I've been in the industry as a sales professional or marketing executive. You can do the same thing. And with today's workforce, the Zoomers, who I have the greatest hope for, and millennials is they really need to have their career dots connected. And so for me, I was fortunate. I went, I went to the Waldorf Astoria. I worked on Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard and Shelter Island Heights. I played students and did work at, at Walt Disney World when I was um, doing a stint with Johnson and Wales and ultimately ended up opening the first Capitol Grill with Ned Grace uh, in Providence back in uh, the early nineties. And then went from there to General Mills in 92. And it was while I was at General Mills that uh, I learned about diversity and inclusion, even though I've been in this uh, brown skin all 63 years of my life. Uh, but there, they took diversity as a business issue. Uh, and I saw an opportunity when I was flipping through Nation's Restaurant News, saw a women's food, food service ad and said, wow, if there's a, there's a need for a women's group to create opportunity, we probably need something for people like me. And then, long story short, I put my thoughts on paper and MFHA was born in uh, 1996. And so we've been making the case for diversity and inclusion for 25 years, all from that little start of um, 
just picking up a postcard in my foods class in high school and ended up at Johnson & Wales and changed my life. That's fantastic. I love hearing about your background. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is extremely relevant right now. How does that movement intersect with the restaurant community? Well, you know, I've been in the industry 45 plus years, and I can tell you in the 25 years of the work I've been doing, we've been doing with uh, MFHA to help the industry get better on diversity and inclusion. I never thought we would reach a place where we're talking about race, racism, white privilege, Black Lives Matter. And we're talking about it out loud. It's on TV. Uh, CEOs are saying, I want to have an, uh, an anti-racist organization. So we clearly have uh, found ourselves in a, in a different kind of a time. So the whole issue of Black Lives Matter can, can be divisive. So I like to always go back to the roots. The roots of Black Lives Matter, right from their website, was a response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's uh, killing in, uh, uh, in uh, 2016. Uh, and their mission is to eradicate supremacy. And I think we all probably want to do that. Uh, and violence against Black communities by the state and vigilantes. So that's their words, not mine. Uh, now, the restaurant industry is all about serving people, including Black people, with dignity, respect as employees, as guests, and personally, you know, I'm against white supremacy and violence. Um, and I would guess most of the people that I've been working with over the last 25 years, um, the leaders that I've seen are in the same same boat. Uh, that being said, it can be a divisive issue. And, uh, you know, what, what I think is important to keep in mind that those protesters are our employees and, and they are our customers and they're not just black they're, and they're not just white and they're of all stripes and of all ages. And the reason they've come together is when you witness the uh, uh, injustice and the brutality of the killing of George Floyd uh, with your own eyes, and I encourage everyone to watch all eight minutes and 46 seconds of it, uh, you, can't, you can't turn away. It was like the moment in the 60s when the world around saw America's police department spraying its people with fire hoses and having dogs chase them down in the street and beat them over the head with sticks. Um, that was a, a changing moment and really, you know, brought this country to have to face its, its reality at that time. I think now um, we're going to be forced to face our original sin, America's original sin of slavery and the structural aspects of what was put in place by the government, <laughs> you know, large and small, to keep Black people, especially, but other people of color, out of land ownership, out of business. So the structures that were built, you know, many years ago are still here. And I think what we're seeing is um, desiring a movement for people to say, enough is enough, it's time for the change. And I just think Black Lives Matter is is, is part of that. Again, they have a very specific focus. Um, but I say for all the operators out there, all of us in the industry, is keep, be sensitive to the fact that those are your employees, those are your customers. And um, I think we have to be very careful about how we get into the political aspects of change uh, because it can be a slippery slope and um, uh, the outcomes are not always what you, you would we expect or hope. Very good. Thinking specifically about restaurants and diversity, what questions do you think restaurant leaders should be asking themselves when it comes to diversity? 
Well, uh, there's two parts to this I'd like to address. First off, um, I think it's very important that we not move off the topic of Black, African-American experience to go to diversity. Because as much as I'm a diversity and inclusion advocate, uh, I've been doing this long enough to know that for some people, the more you can make it diversity, the more you don't have to talk about the, 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 the actual metrics and the progress of the groups that make up that term diversity. So frequently for some diversity means, hey, we have women on our board. That's enough. That's no, not enough. What we're really talking about here in America are the two groups that have consistently underperformed because of the structures and, and the inadequacies of, of, of services and access to opportunity, education, and economics. Those are the two keys that impact Black and Latino communities, especially African-Americans. And so when we look at that, what do you need to do to, to uh, uh, what questions you need to be asking yourself? You need to start with the Black conversation right now. I think we can move to diversity thereafter, but you ask yourself, what does your workforce look like? What do your, your customers look like? So if you have a very diverse group of customers, then you have to reflect to some degree the makeup of that, that customer base. Now, again, I'm a pragmatist when it comes to diversity and inclusion. If you're in a part of the country where there aren't any women or any blacks, or no one should expect you to, to mimic or the numbers on the national level. So black folks are about uh, 14% of the population. In Utah, they're about 2%. So I really, you know, so let's be realistic. But in other areas where African-Americans are over 50% of the population, D.C. And, and, and Chicago, when you don't see representation at high levels, you see single-digit representation at directors and VPs. It's, something's wrong. So uh, I think look at your own staff, talk to your people, both front and the back of the house, you know, why are all the Latinos in the back of the house? Okay. Um, there's plenty of examples of people learning to be bilingual and moving to the front of the house. And then we have to look at ownership. You know, our industries move so much to franchising, uh, but the franchisee community is not, uh, that filled with African Americans to the degree that it could be. And, and so I think you have to look at your, your, your internal staff, you got to look at the communities you work with, who do you donate money to, you know, what teams do you support? So I think you have to kind of really just say, where are we engaged? Where do we touch the community? And if the next time in my, my uh, mentor, Dr. Samuel Batanz is Harvard PhD and one of the fathers, the fourth fathers of diversity, said, if the next time you look, you're making a decision, you look around the room and everybody looks like you, you're doing it wrong. Because if you don't have women's perspectives in the room when you're making a decision, you don't have blacks and browns and other underrepresented groups, LGBTQ, you know, military community in the room when you're making decisions, you're going to have a blind spot. And that's how people get left out. That's how we make mistakes and end up in social media in ways that we don't want to. Um, and the way our image of the industry can get soiled by the behaviors of, of only a few. So I think it's really important. Uh, now, as people think about diversity and inclusion, that we, again, we start with the African-American piece. Let's not avoid the toughest conversation, but then talk to your people. And if you listen, you will you will learn. Completely agree. Those are some really awesome um, expert insights. Um, do you have any numbers that are specifically related to diversity within the restaurant industry? Um, I'd love to hear uh, any numbers that you have outlining that. 
Well, uh, according to uh, Hudson at the Association, uh, over 70% of our workforce is made up of women and people of color. Now, you can break that down. Um, I think the data that we recently have is a couple years old, but but one of the pieces of data that really matters is the ownership factor. And, you know, we see that that Asian ownership has gone up 18% between 2007 and 2012. Minority business ownership has rose sharply in the same time period. It's up 51% for Hispanics. Well, well, it's up, uh, let's see, 24% for African-Americans. Um, but the number that we also think needs to be looked at is a few years ago, we had six African-American CEOs of publicly held restaurant companies. Six. And now we have zero. And that's because the pipeline of talent hasn't been there. So there's kind of a three-pronged approach that we're seeing begins to uh, emerge. First, we have to deal with this anti-racism agenda that's going on. So that's not going away. The country, our industry, leaders, individuals, we have to deal with that race piece. And and we should take a page out of Germany. They dealt with their original sin of of Hitler and Nazi, and they, they did the work. We need to do the same. Secondly, this leadership development piece that the higher you go up in the organization, the whiter it gets and the more male it gets, uh, the more Christian it gets. And, you know, women, we still have pay inequities in our industry, right? And those pay inequities could get fixed tomorrow if the CEOs had the will. Now, I'll leave that one out there for you women to play, uh, think about. And, and But there are companies who are making steps to implement pay inequity and, and, and looking at this. So we need a formal leadership development. And then the third piece is really African-American ownership, uh, minority ownership, um, because that's how communities change. If you don't own anything in this country, you have no power. You have no power economically or politically. But when you're an owner, when you control what's going on in your community, when you can help bring jobs and, and support the commerce that needs to take place in any community, that's how you make big differences. So, so those are some of the things that I think are really important as we move forward and get through COVID-19 uh, and this, this um, uh, anti-racism piece. I don't, I don't really think that that's going away just yet. Now it could, because you know what you do six months from now will tell the difference. But if we're going to get long-term change, it's like what we're doing six years from now. So if we're not stepping up, we're going to see some of the same things to slide back. And I mean, George Floyd isn't the first African-American to get killed in, in egregious situations. We've been watching it for, I have, I have sons, you know, three black sons and a grandson who's 18 right now and sleeping in the room right next to me. And we worry about those in ways that we, we never had, to, uh, that you've never had to, and most people haven't. So again, the, the opportunity for change is here and I'm hopeful that we'll step up and do what we need to do. MFHA is focused on advancing racial, ethnic, and gender diversity by supporting our member companies to learn, grow, and connect by creating an inclusive culture and improving business outcomes in the communities we serve. For more information on ways MFHA can serve your diversity and inclusion needs, check out mfha.net or email info at mfha.net. You mentioned about moving forward. So specific to restaurants, what is the most important thing for restaurateurs to include moving forward with a diverse and supported team? 
So I, you have to listen. You have to be active listeners. Ask your employees, you know, what's it, what's the experience been like of, of during the pandemic and, and, and how are you feeling about all this anti-racism uh, protests and all that? You know, uh, tell me, how are you feeling? And, you know, when you ask people, they'll tell you, uh, but you have to listen and, and you have to believe it. So a lot of this Me Too situation was people didn't believe women. Now, I have three sisters and I have three granddaughters, okay? And my young granddaughter is beginning to come into her own, so to speak. And I look at people and see them looking at her differently. So I know women have a very different experience once they hit that puberty level than boys do. So let's not pretend. And so so the same situation here is, is we have to be active listeners and listen to what employees of color are telling us. Now, I think you got to listen to both sides. you got people that are on the right and people that are on the left. And just because we have different political beliefs doesn't mean we can't find some common ground. Now, politicians in D.C. aren't finding much common ground these days. And that's why I think corporations have to step up. If you see what's happening in the news in the last uh, week or so, the Washington Redskins are seriously thinking about taking off that, that name and changing it. And it wasn't because he went to church on Sunday and all of a sudden got religion. No, it was the economic pocketbook shaking in his back pocket when FedEx and PepsiCo and others said, you know, if you aren't going to change that, um, what is viewed by a lot of people to be an offensive, racist kind of an image of our native brothers, then maybe we pull our money. Ah, no surprise. Now we see movement. See, you know, I learned from from a couple of other folks that have been mentors to me, Reverend Jesse Jackson, I know sometimes can be a, a polarizing name, but he's, he's taught me a lot. He said, there's two things that drive change, pain and gain. You know, when you see economic opportunities, like the Prius, we ran to that. But the most often used is the pain. People got to get their fingers slammed in the door. They got to get sued. You got to have Me Too. You got to have protests in the streets. Because we just have shown as a culture, as a country, as a people, we can't get there on our own. So I really think moving forward, you have to be active listeners. You have to look for a place for where you can participate. Three areas. Personally, uh, what, what has your experience has been? How has privilege impacted your life? I know as an educated black man, I've had privilege. Living in a nice community, I have privilege. I also know that if I go pump gas down the street, my privilege can disappear because of the color of my skin. So then we have to ask our own, what's going on in our companies? Are we really living our values? And I was really impressed by a CEO who said the other day that he was committed to making it clear to his employees and customers that we were going to be an anti-racist organization. He admitted that he hadn't done much. You know, he, they, I've heard about diversity, not really that interesting to me, but this house somehow got him. And he's, he, he wants to change. So start with yourself, then your organization, then your community. Where can you work with the community? In our case, the industry. What are the issues the industry should be working on? One of them I'd like us to gather around is police reform. Uh, you know, we need the police. Uh, everybody's going to back blue. There's, um, no, one in, no one that I know is, is, is sensibly saying we, we want to dismantle the police. We want to dismantle some of these racist behaviors that they have. Yeah, we want to get them out in the same way that the Catholic Church had it to get, um, you know, the, the priests who were pedophiles out. So I think there's some changes that we need to rally around. And if we did it collaboratively, we'd make a lot of progress.
Very good. Uh, I think empathy has a lot to do with this topic. Um, so what does empathy training include and how can that be integrated with restaurants? Well, I haven't seen a lot of empathy training, uh, but what I have seen is the, the word and the term being used quite a bit on how you need to engage your employees. And so in our cultural intelligence work, you know, we teach five competencies, self-awareness, cross-cultural communication, empathetic engagement, okay, uh, conflict management, and authentic coaching. And to engage people authentically is to really meet them where they are. And so the kind of training that we do is we give people real-life scenarios in terms of things that have happened. Uh, a young woman is at the front desk. She's she's seating guests, and a customer comes out of the restroom and says, there's a man in the ladies' room. Well, we know right away that's a transgender issue, but how do you train your employees to respond to that? You know, so they may have been raised in a, in, a, in, a, in a very religious background who tells them that anything that is out of the norm is wrong in the eyes of God. So you, you have to have empathy about what people have been through with our African-American brothers and sisters. Uh, I will tell you, I had to take my boys and teach them how they're going to behave when the police stop them. We have been stopped at gunpoint more than once. And I, and I have no criminal record. Neither do I, We didn't do anything. So that's my real life experience. And so having empathy is, is, is native uh, uh, culture teaches uh, never judge a person until you've walked three moons in their moccasins. So, so that's kind of what the training has to really kind of get us to be sensitive to other people, to hear their truth, experience it, and get comfortable with this uncomfortable. Because when you hear somebody telling you about what it's like to be violated, or as we've seen in the news some, recently, some of these things that are happening to people, that's scary stuff. And you're afraid when your kid goes out to drive and go to the store. My grandson goes to, the, to, to work. I worry about him in a way that other people don't have to. So empathy is really an important uh, leadership development that I think uh, all leaders have to get good at. And uh, there's a lot of payoffs when people feel like, hey, this person cares about me. You know, I'm going to work hard for that individual. That's great. Great advice. Um, how can restaurant leaders learn more about industry-wide anti-racism efforts? What kind of resources are out there that, that they can tap into? Well, there's tons of resources, as we know, the, the beauty. You know, I love Steve Jobs. Well, I'll tell you right now, everything about Steve Jobs I love because he gave us this thing called the iPhone. See, without that camera, we wouldn't be having this conversation today because George Floyd's killing wouldn't have been caught. And we wouldn't be outraged and all these things wouldn't have happened. So, so use the technology. It doesn't take much. If you type in anti you get to the R. You don't even get to the AC, and it'll pop up in, 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 uh, on YouTube or on Google. So there's a ton of stuff out there. Our organization, MFHA.net, become a member, individually or corporate. Help us help the industry. You know, we don't keep the lights on with love. We keep them on with cash like everyone else. Uh, sign up for our smart brief. We have a cultural intelligence smart brief. You just type in uh, mfha.net backslash smart brief, mfha.net backslash smart brief. And you'll have an opportunity to sign up for the free newsletter. It comes, it brings you all sorts of interesting uh, snippets and you can just click on the links, but it's a nice way to kind of get a, to peruse the landscape of what's happening. And then there are other organizations. If you're, if you're a big company, you, you should encourage your CEO to sign the CEO Pledge for Diversity, Action for Diversity. I'm a signatory to it. There's probably a dozen or so 
uh, restaurant companies in our industry that have, have signed up for it. We'd like to see that number go to 100. Uh, there's a thousand plus CEOs who've signed it. It doesn't cost any money, but it's, it's, it's your CEOs making a pledge to do something to increase uh, diversity in the, in the, in the workplace, to, to, to implement unconscious bias, to share best practices. And, you know, sometimes we got to share what didn't work, you know, share your worst practices and then to, to share your plans with the boards of directors. Because at the end of the day, I spoke to Don Thompson, former CEO of McDonald's, African-American, uh, about a month ago. And he told me the one thing that he wished he could have done better was to impact the boards of directors. The boards in the restaurant industry are not as diverse as they need to be. They don't include, they're doing a better job with women. But when it comes to Blacks and Hispanics and other underrepresented groups, it's very poor. So you have blind spots. And we send the message that only the white guys get to have all the fun and make the money. And what I want to teach to see young people is that in this industry, regardless of the package that God puts you in, you have the opportunity to make a great living, to see the world. You don't have to be the smartest person on the planet because I'm living proof. I was a knucklehead in high school and people thought I was going to end up in jail or, or worse. But once I found my niche, I had an opportunity to show hard work and desire can take you from the dishroom to the boardroom. And if I can do it, they can do it too. So that's a message I think we want to get out to the to the entire uh, world. Um, and our industry can start by stepping up on an important issue uh, right now and address the uh, systemic racism that's impacting our country. And uh, I think we've got the leaders in place to do that. I completely agree. And Jerry, that, that kind of fills out the questions that we had lined up for today. But is there anything additional that you'd like to add uh, for our listeners? Well, you know, there's always opportunities for people to help. And what I'd like to see is more of our industry be active in reaching out to groups like ours to say, how can I help? How can we support as volunteers? How can we give money? We give money to a lot of different things. This cause of MFHA, the Women's Food Service Forum, groups like that, we are working to make our industry better. You know, the National Restaurant Association is working to make the industry better. They're lobbying for us on Capitol Hill. You should not be on the sidelines. You know, a great man once said that, that every professional should give a certain amount of his resources to his profession to give back. So there's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines while other people are doing the heavy lifting. I would encourage people, you know, be intentional about this work. What makes the change is being purposeful and intentional with your outreach, going to reach out to somebody on purpose and saying, hey, you know, I really don't know much about the black community. I didn't grow up around blacks. I want to be a good leader. I want to be a good partner. I want to be a good colleague. Help me to learn what I need to learn so I can be a better servant to the organization, be a better person. Your grandkids see you doing that. Your family seeing you doing that. That's how we change the world for the better. So don't sit on the sidelines, people. Stand up, get involved in something uh, to make a difference and, and do it today. Don't, don't wait. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Jerry, for taking the time to speak with us today. Always such a valuable, valuable insight um, into diversity and inclusion and the restaurant industry as a whole. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and you take care. Well, thanks. I appreciate being here and I hope uh, we have a, a very uh, robust and productive rest of the summer. Very good. Thank you. Have a good day. You too now. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us at Order Up, the National Restaurant Association podcast for the restaurant community. We'll update every week on Fridays. Subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or iTunes, or visit us at restaurant.org slash podcasts. This episode produced by Dante32. Cultural intelligence means having the knowledge, skills, and abilities necessary to effectively and appropriately engage people from different cultural backgrounds to deliver better business results. MFHA delivers cultural intelligence programs specifically for the food and hospitality industry with membership programs, live and virtual trainings, consulting, products, and events. MFHA focuses on talent solutions, risk mitigation, and strategy development. Learn how your company can gain cultural intelligence by visiting mfha.net or email info at mfha.net for more information or to request a consultation.